Consider for a moment these internet headlines and their shared refrain. Are you ready? Clint Frazier of the Yankees makes a diving catch you have to see to believe. Fifteen crime documentaries on HBO Max that you have to see to believe. Miss Universe 2021 contestants compete in elaborate costumes you have to see to believe. Do we? Do we? Do we have to see to believe? Let's bring that question to God's word this morning as we move from internet headlines to the gospel of John, where we've been studying over the past number of months on and off the gospel of John. So turn there if you have not already navigate over to John chapter four. We're going to finish John chapter four this morning by digging into those concluding verses, verses 43 through 54, 43 through 54. Now, you may recall that the last time we looked together at John's gospel, Jesus had spent two days ministering to many, many individuals, many people from a Samaritan village called Sychar. Now, one of the people that he was ministering to, of course, was the woman uh, with whom he first spoke when he arrived there two days prior. But look at how John moves us along from that beautiful story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, Jesus in the Samaritan village. He moves us along in verse 43. John writes, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. He's moving north. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee... The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Let's stop there. Now, let me suggest to you that John's emphasis here is on seeing, then believing. It's on seeing, then believing. What exactly does that mean? Well, it's not completely clear yet what that means, is it? But John wants to be clear about the context here in which this story takes place. Yes, the context geographically, moving from Samaria north into Galilee. But more importantly, the context spiritually. The context spiritually. Notice why Jesus departs for Galilee. We find it there in verse 43. He is returning. Well, it says that he's going to Galilee in verse 43. But notice verse 44. He is returning because, see that word for? A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Now, it's not completely clear how 43 and 44 go together, is it? But I think it's reasonable. It's It's a reasonable idea Uh, that Jesus is returning to Galilee in order to prove that saying true. He's going to demonstrate that that is in fact the case. Now, one of the things I've mentioned about John that we should always keep in mind is that John bears all the signs 
no pun intended, of the sign book. (laughs) But it bears all evidence of the fact that it was written later than the other Gospels. Maybe one of the last books to be written in the New Testament. We don't know. But it has evidence, there's evidence within John that John assumes that the readers are familiar with the stories of the other Gospels. So if they were familiar with things that you'd read in Mark or Luke or Matthew, that in fact they would know, these readers would know that Jesus was in fact rejected in Galilee. That there were many instances where people got tired of Jesus. They couldn't understand him. They were frustrated with him. That the religious authorities began to to almost immediately give him a hard time. So that could be part of what we're seeing behind here as he's returning to Galilee. But if that is the case, that Jesus is returning to Galilee to prove that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, in his old neck of the woods, right, his old neighborhood... If that is the case, then verse 45 seems to demonstrate the opposite, doesn't it? Far from being shamed or shunned, Jesus is in fact welcomed by the Galileans. But but notice why he is welcomed. Because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feasts. For they too had gone to the feast, John tells us. Now, this is a reference back to John chapter 2, verse 23. John 2, 23. Take a look on the screen. It says, that's where we read that when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. We know some of the Galileans now. We now know that some of the Galileans were those who were at the feast who saw those signs. So you may remember it was those signs that even prompted a Pharisee, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, to seek Jesus out. As Nicodemus expressed it in John chapter 3, verse 2, he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So the Galileans who welcomed Jesus in 445, or at least some of them, have seen Jesus perform miracles and apparently have also believed that he is from God, that God is with him, to use the words of Nicodemus. But again, notice the order. Seeing, then believing. Seeing, then believing. But look at how the order changes in the account that John has teed up for us with this introduction in 43 through 45. So here's the story in verse 46. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee... He went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son. For he, the son, was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, he asked the, the servants, the hour when he began, the son began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he, this man, this official himself believed and all his household This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Okay, did you see how John flipped the order there? Did you see that? Now, through this story, through this account, he's describing, guess what? He's describing believing, then seeing. Believing, then seeing, this man who is de- described here as an official, a baskalos. Baskalos comes from the word basileos, which means kingdom. So it's a royal word. This indicates that this man was probably an official of King Herod. King Herod, who was the cl- what's called a client king under the Romans. Allowed just to have a little bit of power, right? Not too much. Really more of a figurehead. So this man works for King Herod in some capacity, most likely. But he also, this man may also have been in Jerusalem for the Passover mentioned in chapter 2. Or he had heard from his neighbors. He had heard from other Galileans who had gone to that Passover, as John pointed out for us in verse 45. Either way, when this man finds out that Jesus has returned to Galilee and that he isn't far away, he's about 12 miles from Capernaum to Cana, when he finds out he's there, he goes to him as quickly as he can. Why is that? So that he might, verse 47, heal his son, that Jesus might heal his son, for he was at the point of death. But notice how Jesus responds to this request. Look at verse 48 again. He's using the plural you there. Not just you pointing a finger at the man. He's saying you, all of you. He states, unless you, all of you, see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now that sounds a little harsh. (laughs) Sounds a little harsh in response to a man whose son is about to die. So why this criticism of the crowd's mentality why here why now is this is this the same is this is this this man's mentality as well and is this the same criticism we find in the other gospels Uh, like in matthew chapter 12 verse 39 where jesus declares an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign Is this the same criticism? I don't think this is the same criticism. Given what we've already heard, given the context here of this passage, I think Jesus' emphasis 
might have sounded like this when he spoke. Unless you see signs and wonders, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Isn't this what excited the Galileans in Jerusalem? (laughs) Isn't this what excited the Galileans as they welcomed Jesus back? Isn't this what the man has requested, in fact, that Jesus would come with him so that he might see Jesus do the one thing he desperately wants, the one thing his son desperately needs? But the man is undeterred by the criticism, isn't he? Did you see that? He's not hurt. He's not distracted. He's not detoured in any way. The criticism does not faze him. He repeats the request knowing that time is running out for his boy. And this is where Jesus, understanding the man's concern, understanding the son's need, understanding the timing, this is where Jesus flips the script, as we might say. This is where Jesus calls the man to believe, then see. Listen again to verse 50. Go. That is, you go, official. You go. Your son will live. Literally, in the Greek, your son lives. Of course, the sense is that the son lives at the moment Jesus spoke, right? He lives in a way that he's not threatened by death anymore. And so the translation here in the ESV, your son will live. He lives and will continue to live. He's no longer under the shadow of death. The man will not see, not yet. He will only hear about the miracle. That's all he has. He will only hear about the miracle. And when he does hear, what happens? Verse 50, he believes, doesn't he? He believes when he hears. The man who had been pleading in the presence of Jesus demonstrates his faith by leaving the presence of Jesus. If he had not trusted the word of Jesus, he would not have left. We know that about the man. We know that much about the man. He will keep fighting for his son. He will keep pleading for his son. But his faith is beautifully displayed by the fact that he skedaddles. (laughs) He's out of there. He's gone. He's going home. And as John recounts for us here on the return trip from Cana to Capernaum, the man's slaves intercepted him with good news. The boy was recovering. Uh, Literally, he was recovering well. Right? A nice turnabout. He's had a real nice turnaround all of a sudden. And they confirmed the time of, of day when this miraculous turnaround had taken place. 1 p.m., 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and he knew it's the exact time that he had stood there with Jesus. The exact time when he had pleaded for his son. The exact time when Jesus simply announced, Go, your son will live. So as we think about this, as we think about the reason John includes this story here, we can't miss the connection. I don't want you to miss the connection that, that this passage has with chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. John doesn't let us miss it, does he? He gives us two clues right here in the text to get our attention focused back on chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. 
In 2.11, right, we read, sorry, uh, if you look at when Jesus, John makes it clear that when the royal official found Jesus, he was where? He was in Cana in Galilee. Do you see that? The very place where Jesus, maybe weeks, maybe months earlier, the very place where Jesus had turned water into wine. That's right there in verse 46 of chapter 4. Now we know that there's, uh, that's of course, as Jesus, as, as John makes it clear, this is where Jesus turned water into wine. But there's a second push from John to say, go back and remember chapter 2. Go back and remember that story. The second connection is one that we find here. It connects us back to chapter 2, verse 11. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 11. This is what we read about that water into wine miracle. Uh, John said, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, With that in mind, think about the similar things that we hear, the similar elements in chapter 4, verse 53 and 54. Look at 4, 53 and 54. So the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea. To Galilee. That's just the different order from chapter 2, verse 11, right? Where the miracle, the first sign, leads to the belief. And here it's just stated opposite that the man believed, and then John adds the note afterwards that this is the second sign. Now, this is the last time that John will ever number the signs, but we know that we've got these two clear signs, and we're going to see as we move through the book that there are five more. Five more signs that John highlights throughout his gospel. So just as the disciples believed in Christ in a saving way because of that first sign, so too does this father and those in his household because of the second sign. This is really important. John John doesn't want us to miss that. I hope that you can see he's really pointing us to this connection. He's really making it clear there's a connection here between the signs and belief. That's the purpose of the signs, isn't it? We know that. As we've talked about, the seven signs that John records in this gospel that John highlights here were, take a look at the screen, they were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That's exactly what Jesus wants for those who see the signs as he goes throughout his ministry. Sign one, sign two, and right down the line. So this is not only critical, friends, brothers and sisters, this is not only critical for those who need to move from doubt to faith, from darkness to light, from death to life. This is also critical, brothers and sisters, for those who need to grow in their faith. For those who need to go deeper in their faith. And you know who you are this morning. You know that you need to grow in your faith. 
You know that you feel stuck and have maybe for a long time. You know that your faith doesn't feel like an Olympic swimming pool. It feels like one of those inflatables from Walmart, right? (laughs) You just stick in the back and you fill it with maybe six to eight inches of water. You know that you need to grow. And God is challenging you this morning through His Holy Spirit, even as I'm speaking. Isn't this, this kind of growth, isn't this in fact what we see with the man here? Do you see his growth in faith? He believes enough to leave Jesus, trusting that he will find his son well when he gets home. Right? He believes enough to leave. But when the miracle is confirmed, John is sure to mention to his readers, God is sure to mention to us that he himself believed. What does that mean? He believed in the saving way. That is, his faith moved from situational faith, faith about what Jesus had said about this situation concerning his son and the healing that was announced. He moved from situational faith to saving faith. From faith in a miracle to faith in the miracle worker. He saw Jesus through this. As I've summarized for you regarding this book, John, take a look, John wants to feed our faith with a sound and profound vision of Jesus. That, I believe, is his purpose statement, you know, as he goes through this book. He wants to feed his reader's faith with a sound and profound vision of Jesus. That's not only critical for those who need to move, as I said before, from doubt to faith, but also for us as we grow in faith. All of this, all of us need this same encouragement, don't we? All of us do. Yes, some of you need to move from doubt to faith, to saving faith. But others of you need to grow in your faith. You need to mature. You need to go deeper. You need to grow stronger. If that's true, that you need that and I need that, if that's true, and it is, then think for a minute about what this second sign reveals about Jesus. The first sign confirmed that Jesus was in fact the incarnate Word. Chapter 1, verse 1, John 1, 1. He is the incarnate Word He is, in fact, the Father's agent of creation. He's the Father's agent of creation. And He still exercises transformative power over creation as demonstrated by the fact that He can turn water into wine. But what about the second sign? What's being revealed through this second sign? Well, this sign seems to complement the first sign. In that, they both point us back to the Word described in those opening chapters, sorry, those opening verses of chapter 1. So, not only does the Word still exercise power over creation, the Word made flesh, but He still speaks life into creation. Now we're building not just on stuff like soil and water and acid and 
fermentation and wine, grapes, all that good stuff. We're not building with that now. God's power is not demonstrated in that now. It's now demonstrated in the arena of human existence, of life, life and death. We can't forget what we heard in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to how beautifully these touch on the emphases of the first two signs in this book of seven signs. All things were made through Him. Who's Him? The Word. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And that includes water and wine, doesn't it? In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus Christ can simply speak, and it is so. Jesus Christ can simply speak, and it is so. Jesus Christ simply speaks, and life overcomes death. Wow. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Without a doubt, this passage is a call to faith. (laughs) It's a call to faith, not only in the identity of Jesus, but also faith in what He has spoken to us. Just as this man came to Jesus desperate and needy, we also need to bring Him our needs. What need... What needs should drive or are driving you to Jesus this morning? Whatever it may be, whatever the details, whatever the specifics, whatever it may be, I believe that God is reminding us through this passage that we are to believe then see. We are to believe then see. See, that is, God is calling us to simply take Jesus at His word. Do you understand? Do you recognize that? He is calling us to simply take Jesus at His word. So the same Jesus who said to this man 2,000 years ago, Go, your son will live, still speaks to us today through His word and His Holy Spirit. Do you hear Him this morning speaking to you? If you do, what will it look like to simply take Him at His word as He speaks to you this morning? Bring your need. Bring your needs. Come with those needs and hear Him say, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John 6.37 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. John 6.51 I will raise him up on the last day. Chapter 6, verse 54 If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
John 8, 36. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Chapter 14, verse 3. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 14.14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 14.18, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Chapter 14, verse 26, He will guide you into all truth. Chapter 16, verse 13, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Chapter 16, verse 22. You see, He's spoken. He's already spoken. Will you take Him at His word? Will you go from that word and live accordingly in light of the reality announced? In light of the reality proclaimed? Will you go believing and then seeing? Like the man's faith-filled response, will we go now trusting that all of this is so, that our reality, your reality, if you believe, is in fact transformed forever because of what Jesus has spoken? Life, death, joy, peace, guidance, belonging, All of it I just announced to you through the words of Jesus. Every bit of it. And don't forget all the other words of Jesus. Don't forget all that God has told us because we are in Christ through His precious Word. Will we go believing, trusting that we will one day in this life or in the next see the miracle with our own eyes. Because we will. Sometimes you see it in this life, the fulfillment of His faithfulness, right? Sometimes we'll have to wait to the end to see it all come to pass. Is that our attitude? Or do we say, I will trust You to provide for me, Father. But... I need you just to provide a little first before I trust you for all the rest. How does that sound, God? Right? We want God to give us uh, some measure that we've defined as reassurance. Just show me. Just show me. Like Gideon with the fleece. Friends, if you don't know anything about the book of Judges and you read about Gideon and the fleece, you have to know that was a demonstration of the weakness of Gideon's faith. Not the strength of Gideon's faith. It was the weakness of faith and it was the grace of God that bore with Gideon's faithlessness. Do we do the same thing? Saying, God, I will trust you to provide but please just do this for me first. And then after that, I'm all yours. I will believe. I will believe for the rest. No. Friends, brothers and sisters, the sign calls us 
to believe this morning that we really can take Jesus at His word. We can take Him at His word. As Jesus announced after His resurrection to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen Me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a blessing for each of us. There's a blessing for you from the lips of Jesus Himself. Those who have not seen and yet they believe. Now in one sense, if we truly belong to Christ, we do see then believe. Right? We do see then believe. That is, with eyes of faith, we see what God has already done through Jesus. This is what the Apostle Paul described as having the eyes of your heart enlightened in Ephesians 1.18. And when we quote-unquote see what He has done, then we trust Him for what He will do. But guess what? We're still just talking about faith, aren't we? <laughs> Not to confuse the issue. This kind of seeing is in fact faith. It's not seeing with the eyes in your head, seeing with the eyes of your heart. That's what God is calling us to. But here, John wants to separate those two and say, do you really need to see and touch and smell and grasp with your senses before you will trust God? Before you will trust what Jesus has said? And what has God already done through Jesus? Well, if we kept reading in John's Gospel this morning, we'd go on to read that Jesus not only declared life like we see here, He ultimately secured it by giving up His own. He not only declared life, He secured it for us by giving up His own. The One who spoke life to and about a son at the point of death was himself the son was himself the son of god who passed the point of death in order to give us life and then wonderfully he passed back in new life didn't he he passed back in resurrected life, to secure new life for you and me forever. So the gospel reassures us that the words of Jesus are trustworthy as it shows how God's promises for the Christ, God's promises for the Messiah from the Old Testament prove trustworthy, right? They were seen even though the Old Testament called us to believe, called God's people to believe before they ever could see. And so we are encouraged to trust God's Word. And additionally, can't we, when we think about the Gospel, can't we also see countless lives that have been changed by that very same Gospel? All around us and throughout history, we can see We can see them. So what encouragement to us. But just as the official servants confirmed Christ's word as they met their master on the path, are we also reassured by God's confirmations in our lives? 
Look at your life. Think about your life. Think about the past week. Think about the past month. Think about the past year. How has God confirmed for you that He is at work? How has He shown His Word is true in your life? The Word He called you to believe and then see. Did you see? Did you see that Word coming true, manifesting itself in your life? Surely at some point, in some way, Jesus has spoken and called you to believe and then see. And you have. Surely you have. Surely I have. And if we have, please don't forget those instances. Don't forget them. Please cherish them. Please return to them over and over again. As David declared in Psalm 9-1, I will recount all your wonderful deeds. Psalm 77-11, David said, I will remember the deeds of Yahweh. He wasn't going to forget them. He was going to remember them. He was going to recount them over and over again to proclaim them. We need to do the same, don't we, brothers and sisters? May others recognize. May others recognize, those in your life, those around you, as you head into this day and into this week, may they recognize you as, verse 50, the man who believed the Word. Do you want that? Do you want to be the woman who believed the Word? I do. I want people around me and I want God to see that I'm a a man who hears His Word and I go believing it. What will it look like for others to see that you are the man who believed the Word? The woman who believed the Word. What will that look like for you this week? That should be our prayer, shouldn't it? God, make me the man who believed the Word. Make me the woman who believed the Word. This Word that you have spoken to me this morning. So let's ask God for that kind of faith as we turn to Him in prayer. Let's ask Him for that kind of faith, then believe, then see His answer to our prayer as it's worked out in our lives. Amen? Let's pray.